Father, it is so great to trust you. We trust you because of all that you've done for us. No matter what we do, you're always there for us. We thank you for taking care of us, covering us with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you, ladies. It's good to have you back home. Well, good morning, church. Today I'm starting a new series. It's a new series called Hot Mess. Now, I don't know if you, what that term means to you. Perhaps you can relate to it. If you're unfamiliar with the term, our culture likes to use this phrase to describe things that seem a bit out of control. Let me tell you about this past week for me, which was a hot mess. You see, on Monday this past week, I started a murder trial, and it's still going. It will go into probably sometime next week. And so not only was it a murder trial all week long, I also started teaching again at High Point University. So Monday night and Wednesday night from 6.45 to 8.25, I was at High Point University teaching. And then I got home around 9 o'clock, went to bed shortly thereafter, because that's about my bedtime, and got up the next morning for another day of murder and mayhem and gangs and shootings and all kinds of fun stuff. So it was a hot mess of a week for me. You see, that phrase can be attached to numerous different aspects of our lives. And it's important to not just name things that seem chaotic, but to learn from Scripture how we should respond to those things. Because the reality is, all of us, every single one of us, at one point in time, will know what it feels like to be a hot mess. So during the next four weeks, we're going to hit four key areas of our lives and learn what the Bible says our response should be to chaos and reality in, in each of those situations. And to begin, I want to focus on what is arguably the most important area of our life, our families. Now, your family might be a hot mess, or maybe you're one of the families that's not a hot mess. See, Amy and I you probably know we love cats. You've seen cats in sermons as they've walked past me while I've been preaching and I didn't know they were there. Our house can sometimes be called a hot mess when it comes to cats. Herding cats is a real thing in our household. Dinner time is trying to keep them all separate so that I can get each of them their dish and then we have one cat that's on a special diet so I actually sit there and hand feed him his food. It's it's a hot mess when it comes to cats for Amy and I. But isn't that the way family should be sometimes? Maybe you can relate to the story. The good news is that today, every family is messy. And it's been that way from the beginning of time. So I want to introduce you this morning to a family from the Old Testament, one of the first ones we learn about, a family that was known in part for their great faith. However, this faith did not come without some struggles. 
starting with Abraham and ending with Joseph, I want, to, I want us to learn a few things from the patriarchs in the book of Genesis. We're going to start with Genesis 15. See, at this point in the story, we know Abraham has communicated with God numerous times, and he receives promise after promise of blessing and fruitfulness to come from his seed. But then God gets even more specific in his promises to Abraham, in verse chapter 15, verse 4, we read this. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. God promises Abraham a son. Uh, it's a monumental promise considering the circumstances. Abraham is considered is concerned because both he and his wife Sarah are getting up there in age. They're well past child-rearing age. How could they have a child now? But even when it doesn't make sense, God comes through. Maybe you know that to be true in your own life. You've got examples in your past of God's faithfulness. The question that must be asked today is simple. What promises is God speaking over your life? Maybe you can't hear the audible voice of God speaking these, but I believe that if you were to spend some time prayerfully looking at your life right now, you would experience God's blessings everywhere you turn. And often, God's promises and reminders come in the form of those blessings. You see, the story goes on, and as God makes a promise, not only to Abraham, but to Sarah herself. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There, in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah couldn't believe it. She laughed at the thought of bearing a child in her old age. But sure enough, God came through. Isaac, their son, was soon born and would carry on that promise that was made to Abraham. Can you imagine the scenes prior to Isaac's birth? Abraham and Isaac, or Abraham and Sarah saying, do we start preparing for the birth of a child, or were we just hearing things? Were we making that up? Did, did, we, actually, did we actually hear that? It's a valid question, all things considered. It, it had to be a hot mess around that family at that time. But then God does what God does best 
He fulfills his promise. Abraham and Sarah learned to do one of the toughest things that we are ever called to do. Trust God, even when it doesn't make sense. See, it was about six months ago. We were doing some renovations at our house, and the door was left open. And one of our cats, we are cat people, Avery, just about a year old at the time, snuck out the door. And we, 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 we kind of chased her, trying to, trying to figure out how to get her back into the house, and she ran to the woods behind our house, and we thought surely she would come back when it was time to eat, but, but she didn't. We, we did everything we could think of. We called her name, we went out to the woods and called her name, we made sure there was food, but she didn't come back. One day, I, I was, as I was looking out the back door, I saw her on the back deck, eating food. She was skinny. And I thought, surely all I had to do was open the door. She, she knew that she was hungry. If I opened the door, she would come back into the house. But as soon as I unlocked the door, she ran back to the woods. She was scared. And we've seen her several times over the past six months. But every time she saw us, every time we tried to get near her, she ran away and hid, and she was getting skinnier and skinnier. We did everything we could think of, everything in our power, and we couldn't get her back. We had no other options other than to pray and to trust God. Tuesday night, I was on the back porch feeding the cats that are, that are outside. And I saw a cat, and his back was turned to me, and I went to reach down to pet the cat. And when I pet the cat, or touched the cat, the cat jumped. And when it jumped, I saw her face. It was Avery. And I, I stood shocked for a second because she had never been allowed to, had never come up onto the porch while I was out there since she got out. And I slowly put down the food that I had in my hand, and I kind of snuck up behind her. And I grabbed her. I kind of walked to the back door and I actually kicked the back door because I had her in my hands and I wasn't going to let go of her to try and open the door. And, and Amy looked over from the sofa and saw me kind of looking with a panicked face, with panicked look with a cat in my hand. And she got up and ran over and opened the door. And I ran and took her back into the back bedroom. And I closed the door thinking that as soon as I put her down, she would probably hide for a week or so. But I put her down, and she immediately started rubbing up against my leg and purring. You see, Avery was my cat. She would sit outside the shower in the morning and meow until I'd get back out. She would lay on my lap. She, she was unabashedly my cat. And she went right back to normal. She ate four cans of food that night been eating voraciously ever since, but she's back. We did everything we could, but we couldn't get her back. See, the world was inviting us to do it our own way, to figure out a way to catch her on our own, to forget about God's promises and his faithfulness. But we decided that God's track record 
was flawless. And he hadn't failed us before. And that we could believe that he wouldn't fail us again. What about you and your family? Maybe God has been trying to strengthen your faith and reliance on him by putting you in a position that, that seems like a hot mess. It seems chaotic. It feels wrong. And yet, God is going to use it to not only produce what he plans to give you, but also something important within you and your family. He's calling you to trust him deeper. See, the story doesn't end with Abraham, but what about Isaac, his son? What happens with Isaac's life? Is, does, does, does he learn from the hot mess of Abraham and Sarah? See, the hot mess gets, becomes an even bigger hot mess. When Isaac marries a woman named Rebekah, and they have two sons, Esau and Jacob, Esau is the older son and should, by, by right, get the birthright. But Jacob wanted that birthright. And that's where things start to get just a bit messy. Jacob desires that birthright and seemingly will do anything he can to get it. He makes Esau swear over to, to the birthright to him in exchange for a meal when he, Esau was hungry. Jacob does all of this without Isaac even really knowing. Then Genesis chapter 27, you know, we, we kind of know the story if you, if you read that chapter that, that Jacob is about to die, or Isaac is about to die, and he wants to give Esau a blessing. So he asked him to go out and get to get some game and to cook him a meal and to bring it to him so that he can give him that blessing. Well, Rebekah hears this. And she goes and cooks a meal, and she tells Jacob, take it in to your father and give it to him so that you can get the blessing. And, and Jacob's like, well, you know, my brother's hairy. I'm not. He's going to know it's not me. And they do everything they can to try and trick Isaac. Jacob goes and does his best impression of his brother so that he can inherit the rights of the firstborn son. There are extreme measures that Jacob is willing to go to, but a key component is his co-conspirator in the mess, their own mother, Rebecca. What do we learn from both Isaac and Rebecca as parents in this story? Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. They played favorites. Now, I'm not here to try and tell you how to parent your children. I, I am here to give you a glimpse into the lives of two parents who decided to have favorites among their children. And it turned into a hot mess. So what should our response be? Jesus shed some light onto this in John chapter 15 when he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus models for us to, how to love others well. No matter what their title is, no matter what their relationship to us is, and the most effective way to love is as he loves us. And how is that? He loves us unconditionally. He loves us equally 
and he loves us sacrificially. Maybe you're here today and you come from a home that, where this type of love isn't or wasn't present. I'm here to tell you from personal experience that this is the type of love that God has for his children, for each and every one of us. He loves us unconditionally, equally, and sacrificially. See, this type of sacrificial love requires time and dedication. It invites us to lay aside our own desires to sacrifice for others. It teaches us to love our family, our friends, our coworkers, and even strangers because of who they are and not what they do. If you're desiring insight into who God loves or who can be a recipient of his love, here you go. Perhaps the most well-known Bible verse ever. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life our love should be poured out to all people equally especially for those who are closest to us our family for god so loved the whole world and while it might not be possible for us to accomplish that in our lifetime the whole world we can extend love and compassion to everyone that God brings into our lives. And there's one more progression to the story we've been looking at today. We must look at Joseph. See, Joseph is one of 12 sons of Jacob. And at one point in the story, he has these series of dreams, which he tells to his brothers, not the smartest thing that Joseph ever did. Essentially, these dreams are elevating himself over his brothers, something that obviously they weren't a very huge fan of. And the family, once again, seems like a hot mess. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him. To the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. I mean, after all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed, so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now, Joseph finds himself being sold into slavery on his, and on his way to Egypt. And if you know the story, you know that God's hand is on Joseph. He faces numerous setbacks in Egypt, but he finds great success and favor with the leader of Egypt. He is eventually elevated to second in command over all of Egypt, a role that put him in charge of distributing food when a famine hits. His power, his authority, his responsibility becomes enormous compared to what he came from. 
But even after all of these years away from his family, and now due to a famine in the land, he will once again be reunited with them. How will they respond? Maybe a crucial question for us is how would we respond in this type of scenario after all of these years after your own brother sold you into slavery? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. They understand Joseph's newfound power. So they begin to beg for mercy, for forgiveness. You and I could probably disagree that, we could probably agree that forgiveness is a pretty hard thing to give. Whether we're talking about family members or complete strangers, forgiveness isn't easy. But Joseph is a man of God, and he decides to teach us that forgiveness is key to a healthy family relationship, even if it doesn't feel all that good at the moment. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph didn't just forgive them, but promises to help them in their time of need. See, what we really think about, I would assume, is, is that this type of view of our family is one that we all share. We desire to help our family when they're in need. We want to see them succeed. We want to love them the very best that we can. And the Bible reminds us time and time again that forgiveness is an integral part of relationships with others. I hope you have seen today that our families, whether we like it or not, will at times be a hot mess. There will be chaos. There will be storms. There will be frustration. However, the Bible gives us keys to respond well in these types of situations and seasons that we find ourselves in. We're to trust God. We're to love others and we're to learn to forgive. The ball's in our court in each of these situations. Will we choose to pour out our love equally between our kids? Will we collectively as a family unit trust God even when it doesn't make sense? Are we willing to show forgiveness to those who have hurt us within our own home? See, these are key moments and opportunities within our families to grow and to mature in the kinds of relationships that God would have for us. 
We've got to engage and to trust him if we want to move from chaos to peace. Would you trust him today with your family? Jesus, first of all, thank you. Thank you for my family. We, we are imperfect, but you, gave, you have given us to one another. Help us. Help us to trust. Help us to love. Help us to forgive as we grow in our understanding of how to live and to love like you would. Jesus, we thank you for the hot mess that is our family. And we thank you for teaching us how to turn that hot mess into what you would want us to be. In Jesus' name.